Welcome to Deep Roots, a project of Cortez Community Radio. Deep Roots is an examination of contemporary environmental issues and traditional knowledge and culture. In this edition, producer Sobana explores the life of early spiritual ecologist Ghislaine Douglas and her lesson-filled legacy. This is her story, Finding Ghislaine Douglas and the Protected Place. been called by many names. Nature, spirit, subconscious, creation, wilderness, and more. No one name can contain you. You are all and yet none of them. To me you are under, over, all around. You are in everything I see, hear, touch, smell, taste. Especially you are in the beauty of wind, water, and light in silence, solitude, and that sure knowing of wilderness and wild things. It is our not knowing of our vital need for you that may destroy us in the end. Those were the words of a remarkable woman. Ghislaine Douglas was a true Canadian trailblazer and a woman far ahead of her time. Born in 1900 to a well-to-do family in Toronto, Ghislaine was orphaned by the tender age of 16. After four failed attempts at marriage and an adventurous life traveling across the continent, she finally found her sense of home and the good life in the deep wilderness of British Columbia. After spending almost a decade as a solitary hermit in the Cascade Mountains, life then led her to this small, remote island of Cortez, where she would spend the last 40 years of her life as a nature writer, feminist, politician, and spiritual ecologist. Although I never had the good fortune of meeting Ghislaine Douglas, I feel that we are made of the same ilk and that you and I have much to learn from her about how to live our fullest life and care for this earth we call home. Not too long ago, I was living a very different life. As a young Canadian diplomat in my 20s, I was at the forefront of global negotiations on climate change, arguably the most critical issue of our time. I sought answers to our current environmental crisis in policy boardrooms and halls of academe around the world, and I quickly realized that every meaningful dialogue about climate change addressed only the symptoms and not the deep spiritual roots of this crisis. In our limitless quest for growth, modern society has rejected the sacred knowledge of indigenous wisdom keepers. We have forgotten that we need Mother Earth far more than she needs us not to support our insatiable greed, but to support our spiritual need. Disillusioned with the world, I left my city life and livelihood in search of answers and ended up in a remote Buddhist monastery in a cool forest grove of the British Columbia interior. 
For four years, I marinated in the peace and wisdom of Birkin Forest Buddhist Monastery, in the good company of the one person I knew who had the answers I was looking for, a wise Buddhist monk by the name of Ajahn Sona. The Buddha himself told his disciples time and time again to go to the forest, to dwell in secluded wilderness, and to delight in the solitude of nature. It was here, in this remote forest monastery, that I first met Galean Douglas. I rather randomly came upon an excerpt from her book, Silence is My Homeland, a memoir of her hermit life in the Cascade Mountains. Her writing spoke to the deep spiritual insights she had gained from a life of solitary communion with nature. I was amazed and inspired to know that she had lived this life in the 1940s, in a time when such experiences would have been unthought of for women. And I was grateful that she had taken the time to share her wisdom with such eloquence. Here are those first wise words of hers that spoke to me. Whatever comes, I shall have had this. I shall have known what it is to work with my hands and brain on my own land and for my own sustenance. I shall have known what it is to work for the community by labor, traded, back and forth, and by supplying vegetables. I shall have known what it is to live completely alone with nature, for sometimes a whole winter will go by without a single human visitor. That is very good. It means that I can learn to know myself and to live with myself, that I can discover the ways of silence and beauty. There are long thoughts then, and I believe good ones. When the soul selects her own society, then shuts the door. It is not the world that is shut out, but its clamor and impatience. Here, with my ear pressed close to the earth, I can listen to the very heart of humanity beating. From my primitive position, I can evaluate civilization more truly, and, freed from the pointless hurry and distraction of modern society, I can appreciate, for the first time, the delicate nuances of living. As I read through the pages of Silence is My Homeland, my fascination with Galean Douglas grew stronger. Pretty soon, I was gifting copies to all of my Buddhist friends. Pretty soon, my teacher Ajahn Sona was making reference to Galean in his public talks to other Buddhist meditators. This is the, just the nature of, of certain sensitive types. They just find their way out to the edges, and they find... Uh, she just is not just alone out there or regretful, but she's she's just singing a constant song of praise for, for nature. She's never tired of it. It's just constant celebration. And as I'm reading it, I'm trying to figure out where she is, and I realize, oh, goodness. You know, as the crow flies, she's just 100 miles away, you know, just on the other side of the Kokao. Now, she spends a lot of time listening to the river. And she said, I love music, but I've never heard anything to compare to this. The freedom of the sound of the river. 
And of course, I spent six years living beside the Birkenhead River in a little shack. Three of them as a, a lay hermit and three of them as a monk listening to the river. And what happens is after a while, it's not just the sound of running water anymore. There's starts to become music, pulsing kind of strange music uh, in that river. <clears throat> the world starts talking to itself. The river talks. Eventually, the time came to leave my monastery home, and there was only one place I wanted to live, the remote little island of Cortez that Galeon called home until her death in 1993. Now, almost 25 years after her passing, I find myself walking in her very footsteps, on the very trail she walked almost every day to Channel Rock, the majestic piece of land that she stewarded here, which she astutely named the Protected Place. I'm on my way to meet some of the Cortez Islanders who knew Galeon well. So I'm here at Channel Rock with a few of Galeon's longtime friends on the island, our hosts, the Pinchot family, who have been stewarding Channel Rock since 1992, and Jill Milton and Howie Roman, who met Galeon in the early 1970s when they first arrived here on Cortez. So Howie, perhaps I'll start with you. I think you were the first among us to meet Galeon. Uh, could you tell us a bit about how that all unfolded? It's so long ago, uh, neither of us seemed to know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> speaking solely for myself, I, I came to the island 20 years old uh, from New York City. I knew nothing. And now, in retrospect, I realize how little I knew about living in a place like this. For us, uh, Ghislaine was initially... Our mentor, our teacher. My closest time with Ghislaine, uh, my girlfriend and I separated. I was 22, living somewhere that I didn't have a clue how to live. And, uh, you know, having gone through all the stresses of Vietnam and the U.S. and all that, not wanting to go back, um, Ghislaine did something very special for me. And I don't... I, in no way want to indicate that she was motherly because she was not mm -hmm. a mother figure, <laughs> no. <laughs> but in that year that uh, we had separated and I was alone and I was living in a dark, damp place with no electricity, um, Glenn hired me to come out and catalog things. And she was doing me a favor. She had no money. And it helped me stay here. It w I probably wouldn't have been able to make, make it through that winter. Mm -hmm. um, by the end of that winter and that spring, I started to find work that I could do, and, and, and life took over, and here we are. Jill, I know your friendship with Ghislaine was very rich and multifaceted, and as her literary executor, you also co-authored her biography. So can you tell me, what was it that drew you to Ghislaine initially? I just found in her quite a kindred spirit, although there was quite a difference in age. That was just something you forgot as soon as you started talking to her. She came from a totally different background and upbringing, but living here and the life she lived um, just seemed to me like the perfect life that you could aspire to. 
I really loved the title of your biography, uh, Writing Nature, Finding Home, because that really does sum up the heart of Galayan's life for me. And I know she spent less than a decade in the Cascade Mountains and almost 40 years here at Channel Rock. But as I read the biography and uh, some of Galayan's works, I noticed this common theme of this sort of longing to return to her mountain life, even in some of the poetry that she wrote very close to her death. So I wanted to ask you, Jill, um, where do you think Galayan considered to be home? I think she considered nature to be home. And I think that the mountains were so close to her heart because that's where she first found that feeling of coming home in nature. But I do know that she came to love it here and she felt about this property almost as if it was her child. She felt that it had nurtured her and was her true home and she wanted to protect it Mm. even, you know, past being able to be here to look after it. She had very little cash in her last years. Everything she owned was wrapped up in the property here. And so she was in a bind because she had no money to do anything unless she sold the land. But if she sold the land, then she wouldn't be living here. It wouldn't be protected. And she really tried to get um, a conservancy agency to take it on, but this was quite before anything like that was happening. Um, And so then she was trying to sell it and have a life occupancy or sell it to somebody with the same ideals. And I watched her so many times come to the brink of an agreement and then pull back. Um, She really wanted to be able to put some covenants on it to ensure that it would stay the same way after she was no longer there to protect it. And so um, I think some of the people that she was talking to about it weren't willing to put the covenants on the land mm. um, or wanted to subdivide or wanted to bring in hydro or a road. Mm. So, Yeah, she was- had such foresight. And, and for me, that really came from the fact that she... She really understood the value of being in the wilderness and mm-hmm. she, she could see, you know, the world sort of encroaching in and how it was changing things. And so she that was her way of protecting this place and that the the twenty minute walk in, as I've heard others say, is it that alone kind of you know, shifts who comes here and who and the type of person that this place will attract. I think it doesn't just change, um, well, it changes the people that come in mm-hmm. no matter what they come for in the first place. Mm-hmm. By the time you've walked out on the trail on your 20 or 30 minute walk, you're in a completely different frame of mind than when you started out. I know I used to come out at times, it was once a week, every Friday, 2 o'clock. Um, and sometimes I would be in a real rush to get here or I'd be have been working on a project that I felt like I really wanted to finish and uh, I have to stop and go up to Channel Rock now. And by the time I got in, I was always in a totally different headspace, just 
you know, more calm, more aware of what was going on. And yeah, yeah, that walk is like a, kind of an enforced meditation on yeah. the way in. Did she ever talk to you about this notion of the protected place and what what was being protected or who was protecting? <laughs> yeah, um, she did see this place as being, on Cortez, as being a unique spiritual place. Um, I think as her first chapter of the protected place, she's setting the scene for this as being a sacred place. And um, she felt like that there were places on the island that were dark places, but that this was a place of light. It does fill my heart to be able to walk out here to Channel Rock after Ghislaine's been gone for so many years and the trail is still the same. And to come into the garden and see that the garden is still cared for and to feel that spirit of the place is still here. It has changed in some ways, but I feel that the essence of it is it's still here, it's still so palpable, and it's really wonderful to be able to still come here and visit it. You are listening to Deep Roots on CKTZ Cortez Community Radio, an examination of environment and traditional knowledge and culture. The Pinchos are now in the same place that Galean was, They're coming to the end of their time as stewards, and Channel Rock is now for sale. I can feel the hand of Galean Douglas all around, guiding all of us to safeguard the protected place. So I want to turn it over to the Pinchos, to Libba and Gifford, and ask you, how did you first meet Galean, and how did you come to steward this protected place? Well, like Jill and Howie, uh we came in total innocence and ignorance. (laughs) We we accidentally arrived here, and and we were not the people that were supposed to buy this place, according to us. We just, we got pulled into her vortex. But we fit her criteria in several ways. Uh, She wanted to negotiate only with a woman. It had to be a strong woman. And I guess I qualified. <laughs> and uh, she needed to negotiate with a woman who was an attach to a strong gentleman uh, who had an environmental legacy. And fortunately, I had one of those. <laughs> and, and maybe he will, should speak for himself at this point. So... Uh, I think it was important to Ghislaine, because she said so, that uh, I came from a family which had been conservationists for many generations. And uh, my grandfather had set aside uh, 200 million acres under Teddy Roosevelt, which became the national parks and the national forests in the, in, in, in the U.S. And, and continued throughout his life as the first head of the Forest Service and other roles. Uh, but of course... I'm not him, and uh, I'm a, a little person compared to my uh, grandfather, but I think uh, I grew up uh, almost sheep-dipped in the uh, conservation and social justice movements, which were the politics of, uh, of, of my family. And so it never occurred to me that that wasn't the purpose of life. 
What has it meant for you to steward this land? What has that experience been for you? Uh, it's the biggest thing we ever did in life, perhaps accepting children and, uh, and family and grandchildren, but it was the biggest thing we ever took on. It's way, way bigger and more important than anything else. I mean, it is a huge responsibility. Um, and we got into it not having a picture of why we were here, right? But then it became really clear the question was, what is Channel Rock wanting? What is it? You want to say, what is it for? But it's really, um, you know, what is it wanting to be? Mm. Um, and it it needs to have people here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Glenn came to terms with that, at least in our negotiations. Because what happens when someone comes here? And I have seen this uh, a thousand times, mm. and I cry when I say this, mm. you know, is that you come here, and if you've got 24, 48 hours, preferably five days, um, you become part of nature mm. by being here. Mm. It, because of the no roads, because of the mm. the indigenous building mm-hmm. which we're in now, you know where the uh, uh, where the materials mm-hmm. are like the earth, they are the earth, mm-hmm. are the trees, the local trees, um, and there's something else that happens. People are never the same, mm. no matter where they come from, by having a short sojourn here. Mm. And and I think that's largely what Channel Rock's for, mm. because then they go out and they take that with them. Mm-hmm. Transformation. Mm-hmm. I would. I think it's also like a remembrance. You know, we we have always been one with the land, but we've just yeah. forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Gifford, one of the things I came to really appreciate about Galen was that the motivation for all the work she did to protect the environment came from this real deep love of wilderness, you know, really appreciating the deepest spiritual value of what she was trying to protect. And I know you and Libba have devoted so much of your lives to environmental work, so I'm curious to know, where does your motivation for this work stem from? In the environmental movement, gloom and doom are not selling very well, in part because it seems so unattractive. My son Marco, who was an environmental educator at one time in his life, said, you know, you scratch an environmentalist and you will always find somebody who spent their time outdoors when they were a child. Mm. And they were drawn to the movement, not by how awful it's going to be if we don't do something about it, but how wonderful uh, nature is. And one of the things that I get out of uh, Channel Rock is that there's a moment when it switches from how beautiful this place is of me looking at it as an outsider to me as part of nature. And that is a much, much deeper home, a much, much warmer feeling than observing nature to moving to being nature and recognizing our animal spirits and that we are all one. Mm. And uh, so that's something that I think, uh, for some reason, this place is uniquely good at helping people to make that uh, Mm. transformation. Yeah, because it is so wild, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that one of the things that uh, Ghislaine realized was just how uh, deeply spiritual 
one's relationship with nature is. When we uh, uh, bring our students here, we ask them while they're sitting in this room to come up with a really deep question which is pivotal in their life, but they are unable to really resolve uh, this question. And we send them out to the woods. And we say, wander in the woods until you find a tree you can relate to. And then, after getting in touch with that tree, ask it the question. Mm -hmm. And they come back with profound and deeply meaningful answers to those questions. Now, there's several interpretations of what went on. (laughs) It could be that their subconscious has just answered the question because the environment brought that out. Mm It could be that the tree is actually talking to them. (laughs) It could be that trees are antennas to God. Mm -hmm. And I think all of those uh, interpretations are are worth uh, uh, considering. Mm -hmm. But it does seem that trees can be a great source of wisdom Mm -hmm. uh, and that you get answers at a deeper level than you can by asking the question of your conscious mind. Mm -hmm. So I know now you're at a position where you are now looking for suitors (laughs) to steward this property. What do you want to say to them about what you've learned from your time here? What what is Channel Rock wanting to be now? I, I think the most important thing is that you have to be willing to want to protect it above all, you know, and that that you have some design that will last at least for a few decades of how you can make that happen. Mm-hmm. I like the way that you said it. The Channel Rock is its own. You know, Ghislaine was a character here, but Channel Rock was here long before Ghislaine came. And it has its own history, its own life, its own story, and it's unfolding on a time scale that we don't, you know, we can't really appreciate. So it it takes a certain sensitivity for sure. And I certainly hope that you know, the stewards that eventually take over this place will have the same spirit that you've brought to it. Well, and it's also the joy and privilege of being that steward. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's um, uh, yeah. it's a responsibility, but there's nothing like it. It is done. The dream is on the rock. The dream is for always. The sun, which is for always, was the dream. As a learner of medicine, as a maker of medicine, I prayed to the sun. I prayed to the great spirit through the sun. I am Quiltsquat, named after the red clouds of sunrise and sunset. Now the sun has guided my fingers to paint my dream. The sun on the rock, it is done, it is good. But now the shadows were growing longer and there was still much to be done. He must walk around all of this protected place. Friend, he would say to each tree, honored one to each animal. Even the stones and grass, he would tell about it. It was all in the dream. It is all on the rock. It has been. It is now. It will come.
May there never come a time when no one will tell us about seas and mountains, remembering the green places, or that there are rivers of cool, clear water where the forests are deep and shadowy, where birds make music without contract. For guns will not turn into cultivators, nor bombs into combines, if no one remembers the green places. If the earth has been crucified upon bulldozers and the poets have died sorrowing for beauty, then there will be only the sands of satiety and no oasis in all the desert of the heart. producer Sobana for this edition of Deep Roots. Technical help from Rob Selmanovic and Sean Cowell. Deep Roots senior producer is Greg Osoba. Cortez Community Radio is grateful to the Community Radio Fund of Canada, the Victoria Foundation, other donors, and the Clacoose First Nation for their support. More information about the series can be found at cortezradio.ca. Thank you.